Hello and welcome to The Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we continue in the epilogue for Dearest Ones, the letters that our hero, the Silver King, wrote to his family throughout his Second World War. It's early May of 1944, and Stanley has started what became quite an adventurous month for him. He writes to his family on May 9th, Dearest Ones, I have so much to tell you, I hardly know where to begin. We left here Thursday morning with Omaha as our destination. It was a regular scheduled mission. That is, the schedule calls for a cross-country in the morning and returning the same night. The fellows usually pick Miami as the mission, but it so happened that one of our instructors had a leave, and Omaha was his home. So we decided to give him a break and take him home. It took us five hours to get there, the longest cross-country I've ever had, so we were all plenty tired. However, just as we landed, the weather started to look bad, and we thought it best to go back to St. Louis to get out of it in order to enable us to get back home that night. After eating lunch and servicing the ship, we immediately took off for St. Louis, It took us almost an hour to reach St. Louis. There, our trouble began to show itself. The flaps on the wings weren't working normally, and we had to use the emergency to get them down. It wasn't anything serious, but could eventually develop into something. We reported it immediately upon landing, and after a thorough inspection, it was determined our Hydraulic system was out, and and they didn't have the necessary parts to replace the old ones. They had to wire for them, and that's how I came to be there for such a long time. Now I'll tell you what a wonderful time I had. Thursday night, my co-pilot and I stayed in a hotel in town while my pilot went to see an aunt of his. I was anxious to see the city and have a good time, and I did just that. There weren't many soldiers at all, and we were the only flying personnel in the city. Consequently, anything was ours for the asking. Honestly, we had to almost beat the women off. It didn't take us any time at all to meet two cute girls who showed us the town. Friday night, we stayed in town again to repeat the grand time we had the night before. I had the cutest blonde you ever saw. Saturday night, we relinquished to spend the evening with my pilot and his aunt. We didn't relish this because it didn't sound exciting at all. But we were mistaken. The aunt turned out to be a woman about your age, mother, and with just as much life as you have. She took us to dinner in a very nice place in town and afterwards showed us all the nightclubs we had missed. 
I never drank so much in all my life, but this is only the beginning. She is a widow with two sons in the army overseas and seems to be worth plenty of money. Her husband was district attorney for St. Louis and surprisingly a Jew. Anyhow, she was loads of fun and showed us a marvelous time. We had a picture taken in one of the clubs, and as soon as I can get a big enough envelope, I'll mail it to you. Now for the best part of all. She lives 30 miles out of the city on what she calls a farm. Believe me, it was far from anything you would call a farm. I was really shocked when I saw it because I had actually expected to see a farm. Instead, it turns out to be a summer house in the country, just like the ones you see in the movies. It was beautiful, the kind of place everyone dreams of owning. I know I could have easily spent the rest of my life there. We didn't get there until the wee hours of the morning, but right away she brings out the bottle and we started drinking again. She and I were the only ones drinking scotch and the only ones sober. We sat there drinking all night and it was daylight when we finally went to bed. Sunday we slept until the afternoon and late in the day we went horseback riding on her horses. You can easily see what a grand time we had but that ain't all. Sunday night, we had barbecued ribs, which she fixed herself on the pit outside. It reminded me very much of a day on Uncle Dave's farm, only very much more modern. Again that night and most of the day we were drinking, I honestly believe my veins have alcohol in them instead of blood. Of course, we drank only the 12-year-old old rarity scotch. Well, Monday, our little vacation was over as we went back to the field. Our ship was ready to go about nine o'clock last night, and we took off. But about 30 minutes out, we had to turn back due to the weather. We spent the night on the field. That's why I didn't call last night. It was too late by the time we got away from the line. That brings us up to date. We left St. Louis at 12.30 today and got here at 4. I really hated to come back after such a glorious time. It seemed like something that only happens in stories. I'll never meet a grander person than Mom Philipson. The good news I mentioned is this. It seems that since we have missed so many missions and are so far behind the others that our class will leave without us. They should pull out very soon now, but we'll be here a while longer. Everything happens for the best. Write real soon. Keep well. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. The Silver King St. Louis Knights, before... He and his guys moved out to stay with Mom Philipson in the St. Louis countryside. We're at the well-known Mayfair Hotel in the city. The Mayfair was described as something 
that included for your added comfort and enjoyment free radio reception, sound conditioning, and optional air conditioning during warm weather. The hotel on the United States National Register of Historic Places is at the corner of 8th and St. Charles Streets in the heart of the city, and it has quite a history. The hotel's founder, Charles Heiss, was from Bavaria, and he had hotel experience in Europe, Canada, and America, including time as an assistant manager at the Knickerbocker in New York. Mr. Heiss arrived in St. Louis as a manager for the Statler Hotel, and then he decided to go into the business himself. The Mayfair was designed by a well-known St. Louis architect, Preston J. Bradshaw, and the hotel's 18-story building was built in 1924 and 25. The concrete building was faced with red brick and terracotta, and it uses terracotta extensively in its facing window frames, ornaments, and cornices. The building had three high-speed elevators, including operators. The Mayfair opened on August 29, 1925. And the night after it opened, 4,000 guests were invited for a grand opening and a dedication. The hotel included a nine-chair barbershop, a six-booth beauty parlor, unlike at many hotels where these services would be in the basement, and mezzanine lounge off the lobby. The hotel's guests throughout the years included Irving Berlin, John Barrymore, Douglas Fairbanks, Cary Grant, Harry Truman, and Lyndon Baines Johnson. In 1925, the radio station KMOX, went on the air from a studio in the mezzanine. The hotel, which opened two years after Stanley was born, became a comfortable spot for our hero to enjoy his city nights and meet cute girls. And those nights were before the king met Mom Philipson. And the picture that he referenced in his letter is a classic photo of three young men, and a wonderful middle-aged woman. The irony of the Silver King's Omaha Odyssey meant that he would miss going out with his guys because he didn't have the requisite number of missions. And I think that the guys who shipped out ahead of the Silver King ultimately joined the crews that flew over Europe for D-Day. And the fact that our hero, in being held back, would go on to a different fate was important to why the Silver King lived to come home after the war. And as we contemplate what's ahead for our hero, the Silver King, as he begins the stretch run of his training days at Columbia Army Air Base in South Carolina, we have reached the end 
of the epilogue for Dearest Ones, part 15. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.